0: forward up here and uh, let's see Scott we need your help and uh, Raj take the uh, notebooks if you don't have a a notebook that you use to write in for prayer if you don't uh, if you're not writing down your prayer list I want you to take one of these notebooks just just lift your hand a lot of you don't have one of those we want everybody to get one some of you started this uh, before and you, you may already have a notebook. We want everybody to have a notebook, and we want everybody to have these two pieces of paper that are coming around. And if you don't have a a pen, or I have three of them up here. Does anybody need one way back there? Okay. Here you go. Who else? Right here, Rich here, pass the two pens out that I have left. Okay, we're going to scratch the surface tonight um, and give you something that uh, I think is very usable for the rest of your life. Most people that I know uh, want to know how to pray. Uh, Most people that I've known have felt uh, very much like a failure in prayer. If you uh, apply some of the things that I'm going to be talking about, I I guarantee you that you can be successful uh, the rest of your life as someone who is uh, learning as you go along how to pray. Now, you have all those papers in front of you, you have that book in front of you. Now, reach in in the book rack and find the book of John. And the the red Bibles there, I know most of you don't bring your Bible on uh, this service, but uh, we have plenty of them in uh, in the book rack there, book of John, chapter 15. I just want to give you a biblical base from which to work. You know, we've heard all the stories about prayer. Prayer changes things. The family that prays together, what? Stays together. That's true. Those things are all true. Prayer is the greatest force on the face of the planet, because what it does is it brings God on the scene, and if ever there is a planet that needs God on the scene, it's our planet, amen? If there's ever families that need God in their life, it's our families, all of our families, no one is excluded. Uh, Why don't you, I'll tell you what, take a few of those books in the back and... uh, Sean, if you see somebody come in there without one of these books, give him one, okay? Uh, Rich, take uh, take some back there and give them uh, to Sean so he can uh, be our doorkeeper back there. Okay, uh, John chapter 15, verse number 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. The word vine dresser means gardener. You know, there's no one that cares for the garden like the gardener, Right? When you plant something, you go out there every day to see if it grew. Uh, if, somebody, if something's eating on it, you go out there to kill it, right? Uh, so it doesn't uh, destroy your garden. There's, the Bible likens the church, the people of God, to a garden over which God looks. He's concerned about his garden. We're his garden. Um, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. My mother, whose birthday is Friday, she'll be 98 years old. Uh, Whenever she looks at this verse, verse number two, she says, Johnny, if you don't use what you have, you will what? Lose what you have. That's what this verse says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I believe fruit bearing is a decision. You know, sometimes we look around the church and we say, Boy, that person is a real fruitful Christian. God is really blessing them in a marvelous way. I'm sure out of the loop. I, that'll never happen for me. Uh, the reason why it could never happen for us is because we didn't make the decision like the other person to be a fruit bearer. Fruit bearing is a spiritual decision. It's you making a decision to bear fruit for God. If you make that decision, you're on the way and God will bless you. But. I want you to notice here in the next portion, it says every branch that bears fruit, that makes the decision to bear fruit, he does what? He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You know, God's never satisfied, as you and I should never be satisfied, with uh, where we are spiritually, right? Boy, there's always more uh, land to conquer. There's always more things to do for Christ. There's always uh, higher heights uh, that... That we can perform. And so the Lord knows that and he says, listen, if you make the decision to be a fruit bearer, I'm going to prune you. And what that simply means is he's going to take things out of our life that hinders us from serving him. Sometimes when we make a decision for Christ, a lot of things, you know, have to be removed from our life in order for us to get a good start as a Christian. Bad habits. God loves to take those things away. And many of us here in the church tonight could say, yeah, the Lord took this away from me and that away from me, and, and that's all good. That's what God wants. He wants. Uh, sometimes God has to take relationships away from us that are bad, that are detrimental for us. Sometimes they're not even bad, but they're not God's relationships. And so God prunes that off. And so whenever we make a decision to serve the Lord, God says, listen, I'm going to prune you and I'm going to take those things out of your life so that you can be more fruitful as a Christian, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Uh, God's means of pruning a Christian is the word of God. Whenever you and I read the word of God, it speaks to us and tells us what to do. And so it chops things out of our life that are detrimental, right? The word of God is the pruning fork that God uses. As we stay in the word, man, he just keeps cutting on us, right? Uh, we want to grow in this direction. He cuts that off. He takes that away from us. God's in the business of taking things away from us. Because when, when God takes things away from us, what happens to the root of the vine? It goes where? Down deeper, right? Uh, and, uh, and that's what God wants for us. Verse number four says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Three times in that verse we find the word abide. We could read it this way, spend time with me, and I'll spend time with you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it spends time in the vine, neither can you unless you spend time in me. Uh, I think one of the greatest challenges that we have in the church today is spending time with God, don't you? You know, we uh, get up in the morning, and if you're, we uh, we hit the floor running, and at the end we collapse right in the bed, and we say, "Man, I got to do this all over tomorrow." You know, I got to start running tomorrow. And in the meantime, God wants our attention. He wants us to pay attention to Him. And so He says, "Listen, if you spend time with Me." Uh, You're going to bear fruit, but if you don't, you can't be a fruit bearer. You can't be a productive Christian unless you spend time with the Lord. Okay, verse number five. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who spends time in me and I in him bears what? Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Whenever a person first finds the Lord, I think they run on enthusiasm and adrenaline. How many people here did, when you first found the Lord, you raced? I mean, you, you thought you could conquer the world, right? Until you found out, I can't do this. Uh, you tried to climb the mountain, you couldn't climb it. When I first started in the ministry, I thought, boy, there's a lot of things I can do. But, boy, when I read this verse now, I look at it in a different light. There's really nothing I can do. Everything takes the strength of God. Without you, Lord, I can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not spend time in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. You know, this is a withering thought, really, because you and I know Christians, and they started out real well, and they walked with God, and somehow they kind of got disconnected with God. They were too busy. They got preoccupied. They got caught up in something, and their spiritual life, they're still alive, alive but their spiritual life withered up. Uh, it just withered up. It just was not fresh. It wasn't like it used to be. That's what this is talking about right here. If anyone does not spend time with me, is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. But look at verse 7, and this is our destination right here. If you spend time with me and my word spend time in you, you will ask what you will. You will ask what, what you desire, and it should be done for you. This is the promise of prayer. The Lord is talking to his disciples. He said, listen, just, I plead with you, just spend time with me. And let my words spend time in you. That's the Bible. I know of no productive Christian who is not a person of the Bible. You know, we can, and many, many people used to be, but now they're running on empty. Have You ever seen a car try to run on empty? It just doesn't make, it just, it just comes to a screeching halt, right? Now, if anyone does not, uh, if you abide, spend time with me and my words spend time in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. This is the promise of prayer. My words abide in you, you spend time with me. How do we spend time with God? Well, we do it in various ways, but the best way is to have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. God wants every single one of us to be intentional in spending time with him. Because you know what will happen? We'll say, uh, you know, I'm going to spend time with the Lord when I get time. And when is that? And, you know, the days just keep rolling on and we have all these good intentions. But no time with the Lord. Because there are a million and one things that come up, right? That uh, cause us to be diverted. Well, I submit to you tonight that God wants us to have a divine appointment, okay? Uh, that means that we need to make a time to meet with the Lord. Let's, uh, let's look at this little handout that we passed out right now, okay? It's entitled, Let Prayer Change Your Life. I got this title from Becky she's the She's the lady that wrote the book, Let Prayer Change Your Life. And I figured I could use her title because she didn't create it. I'm sure someone else did. Uh, She wrote the book, and she said she went to a prayer conference, and she made a commitment to God to pray an hour a day for the rest of her life. Now, I want you to let that get all over you, okay? She made this commitment. It wasn't just a, I think, maybe I'll do it. She made a commitment to God to pray an hour a day the rest of her life. Now, she put it in print, and so... We called her in California at her office, and we said, Becky, how are you doing? Diane Mussey called her several times. How are you doing? The last time we called her, and I don't know, it's been six months ago or something, uh, her secretary said, oh, she's doing real good. She's been praying an hour a day for the last 22 years. She has a worldwide prayer ministry, teaches everybody around the world to pray, and all sorts of spiritual ministry. But she made a simple commitment to God. It, it, it sounds big, doesn't it? It is kind of big, you know that? And she said she didn't know how to do it. So she went home and she set her timer on the oven for one hour. And she said, God, I don't, know how, I don't have a clue what to do next. And she just started it. You know, commitment is really good. You know that? It makes you do something. When you get married, you make a commitment, right? Do you know how to do it? You don't, do you? You just do it, right? And you, you learn along the way. And so that's what she did. Uh, I think one of the most successful ways to to learn to pray is to write our requests down in a notebook, and that's why we passed this out uh, a number of years ago in the church. We talked about this for the very first time, and we went out and we bought a bunch of blue books. They weren't red; they were blue, and we called it the blue book. And uh, everybody in the church started to write their prayer requests down, or at least a lot of people did, and we started to journalize our prayer, and we made categories in our book. And you'll notice here, I've suggested tonight uh, some of these categories, praise and thanksgiving. Uh, You know, just think if you, let's say you take five, let's say ten pages, and you say, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to write down the things for which I am praising the Lord this day. I usually write down five or six things every day. And then I read them back to God. Uh, I have a pen in my hand. I do this whole thing with my eyes wide open, looking where I'm going. And I read those praises back to God. Next morning, I write some more down in my book. And after a few weeks, I got all kinds of things. That I'm praising God for. And I'm not, and I'm moving forward, and I'm remembering a lot of the things for which uh, I need to praise the Lord. Uh, Confession, there's a good uh, topic. I I want you to be careful on that though. Don't write too many vivid things down here in your book. Somebody may find your book. Write in Egyptian hieroglyphics, something only you and God can understand. Uh, But confession is important, and we'll talk later about that. Uh, It's important that we keep an open line, a good communication with God so that He can forgive us of our daily errors and sins along the way, because they create a lot of guilt in us, don't they? And you know, when when we are labored down with guilt, we can hardly move after a while, we're so burdened. Uh, Notice this Sunday school class. How many people here in a Sunday school class? Raise your hand. A few of them. Quite a few of them. Yeah. Or put all your Sunday school class members on there. I bet you have all of yours, Deb. How many kids do you have in your class? Fifteen. That's a lot of praying. You know that she's got 15 in her class, plus all their parents. And so you've got how much you got a big part of your book full already. Uh, new believers, people just coming to Christ, you know, they need our prayer more than anything because Satan has a way of knocking new believers out of the water, right? I mean, he can just come and whack them and they're finished. So, so we need to write them their name down and begin to pray for them. Our family needs. How many people here have needs in your family? Would you raise your hand? I've got mine up. I'll put both up right like this. Now, all these things we should be praying about, not worrying about. Because the Bible says, do not worry, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. People are going crazy today worrying about all the issues that are going on in their family. They should be spending that good energy praying to God about them and giving their issues to God, someone who can do something about it. And so we have all these family issues, write them out by name, the issues, If you have kids, you have lots of things to pray about. Missionaries. We know missionaries in our church. We should be praying for their needs. Physical healing. Boy, we have so many people in our church in need physically. People who need Christ. Wow, this is incredible. Uh, Church ministries. Our youth ministry. Our junior high ministry. Our promised land. Our mothers of preschoolers. Our community leaders, the people that are working in our community, so hard to put some sense of civility in the thing. Wisdom for decisions. Yeah, you know, you and I make important decisions along the way. We need God's wisdom, don't you think? Character changes. And these are all topics. You don't have to choose all of them. Just start out with a few. Put them in your book. Write down what you want to talk to God about and then read it to God. You don't have to do this all from the top of your head. Do it off the page. It helps you stay focused. Uh, Our giving goals, uh, divine appointments, people you want God to set up an appointment with, people you want to connect with. Our national leaders. I I went into the Internet long ago, and I I printed up uh, the Supreme Court. I pray almost every morning for the Supreme Court. I especially pray for the five conservative judges. On the Supreme Court, and then I pray for the others, uh, for who need to be conservative. And so I, I'm trying to bring them on, but it's hard. It's really hard, you know. That, but anyway, I'm trying to do what the Lord said in a roundabout way. So I pray for the Supreme Court, the national leaders. I pray for President Bush uh, and, and the election. I'm, I'm making a major push on the election, and I want you to to also. Now, right down below here, it says, the right way to pray is to write it all down. Would you repeat that with me? The right way to pray is to write it all down. Now, don't misunderstand me. That's not the only way to pray. It's just this little catchy statement that will kind of help uh, help our thinking. Now, there are three principles that we want to go by. Are you ready for them? Set a time to pray. Have a divine appointment. Mine is set automatically for me every morning, it is the first thing I do after I make coffee because I don't think I could pray without that. I'm a little incoherent. After I make my coffee and my brain and my heart starts to beat, then I pray. Uh, it's a different time for me, but some of you have a more strict schedule than, than I do and you have to be at work at a special time. And so that means that you should set the clock and say, okay, I'm out of bed. I'm going to meet with God. I have an appointment with the Lord. See, if you don't make an appointment with God, you won't keep it. You'll say, you know, I'll connect with him later when I have more time, which is never. And so set a time right now uh, for tomorrow morning. You might say, man, I get up so early already. You know what? If you get up a little bit earlier to spend time with God, your day will be a whole lot better than it's been in the past. Because he will bless you for that effort. Okay, set a time, record the time you spend in prayer. I always write it down. Like if I start praying at 7 o'clock, some of you have half your day done at 7 o'clock, don't you? If I start praying at 7 o'clock, I write it down. And then when I finish, I write how how many minutes or how, how long I prayed. I want to know how much time I put in praying. Because I made a commitment to our church about 15 years ago that I would make a goal to pray an hour a day, five days a week. That's my goal. And I I reach that goal most of the time. Uh, And so I want to write down, I record the time, and then increase the time. And, you know, that's easy because as you begin to enter all kind of prayer requests in this book and you get more things to pray about, your time level just goes way up. When we introduced this a number of years ago in the church People went out, they had their book, they started to make their categories. One guy came back about two weeks later and said, I'm praying an hour a day. It wasn't a minister, it was a layman in the church. Because, because he was trying to learn to pray about his whole life. And will you start praying about your whole life, it boggles your mind. But that's a good thing because you know what it's doing? It's putting you in proximity with God. It's connecting you with God Almighty. It's doing exactly what Jesus told us to do here in the Bible. Spend time with me. And then you ask me what you desire, and I will give it to you. You know, God is looking for people he can trust. And people he can trust are people who want to hang out with him. Don't you think that God thinks there are a lot of people he can't trust because they can't even squeeze him into their schedule? But, you know, when we when we connect with God, uh, He doesn't really need things for us. When we began to pray like this in the church a number of years back, automatically some powerful things began to happen. I remember one Sunday morning, right after we started this, and everybody got on the same page, you know, and we were like, yeah, yeah, this is what we want to do. There were two young couples that came to our church one Sunday morning. They walked in that door back there, and both of them said, we... They, did, they both said independently, we are looking for God. You what? Yeah, we are looking for God. That was a Sunday school time. We didn't know where to put them because we didn't have any class that said we are looking for God class. So we put them by faith in the new believers class. That Sunday night, two families went out from our church and brought both of those families to Christ. One was a doctor in a Pittsburgh hospital. Uh, his uh, mother was from Japan. His father was American. They were divorced. And a few weeks later, he said, you know, I'm going to go visit my mother in Japan and I'm going to tell her that I found God. They are still serving the Lord to this day. They, moved to, uh, after they left Pittsburgh. They moved to Durham, North Carolina. But uh, whenever God's people began to pray, God begins to entrust them with spiritual things. Why would God give us any spiritual things if we, if he can't trust us to walk with him? If he can't trust us to spend time with him, just like he says to us here in the Bible. All sorts of spiritual things began to happen in the church. Our youth ministry, man, it just went wild. Pastor Ken, and he's going to talk about that in a couple of weeks here. He's going to tell you what happened at Straight Street. And the prayer meetings that he used to have in his house, it was incredible. These kids started praying for their friends, and their friends started coming to Christ left and right. You know, the Bible says uh, in James 4.2, we have not because we want. We ask not. You know, we worry, we fret, we say, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. I'll tell you what, when we begin to pray for things, things start working spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about you being healthier, wealthier, or happier. I'm talking about you being spiritually productive, and there's a big difference. When we are spiritually productive, things happen. Um, Sarah, come on up here. Just one minute before we break down in our groups. And uh, I want you to share with the people how you started your journey with uh, what we, we call the Blue Book. And uh, she's got them all here in her hand. My goodness, Sarah. Uh, you get real close to me. I only have one mic, and Ken is recording this. Sure. Just uh, speak into the mic. Um,
1: just um it's a privilege to come and talk to you guys tonight about the blue book uh we came to the church about 11 years ago and i just heard everybody talk about the blue book and i'd been raised in a christian family so i can't imagine my life without praying but i didn't feel that it was organized and i kept hearing the blue book and i thought maybe this is a baptist thing i'm not really in tune with this is this some secret book i don't know and i'm gonna have to do something to get this blue book so finally you know pastor and M started talking and my husband and I, we really took it serious, and I'm an organized freak, so this was great for me. I, um, we just started with a little book like this. This is the book they kind of gave us when we got here. I just put tabs on mine. That's easy for me. And like pastor, I write down the dates and the time. I don't put when I'm finished. I just look in the front and think, man, my goal is to do 10 or 15 minutes, and usually I do like a half hour. Um, you know I break down the pages for my praise and my thanksgiving and I give that the most because I know I need to be praising and thanking God and my confession because I have a lot I need to confess too. Um, can well, we have an amen amen yeah <laughs> where's my husband yeah so but um, you know also when I remember reading about divine appointments, and I thought, "Oh, good grief, divine appointments! What am I doing with divine appointments?" But I just know that's so important. So I, I, you know, I take some of these categories and I put them together. I put my the lost and I put divine appointments together. You know, I'm not pastor. I'm not praying in Supreme Court and all that. I put my community and my world. You know, so and right now I'm just praying for candidates because I haven't decided yet. So I'm just praying all the candidates. We can fix that before <laughs> the night. <laughs> that and they all survive is and over. I keep their, you know, their families safe. Because I'm trying to be God-like in this. I'm not trying to think, oh, like him and like him. You know, I just want them to be safe. I want their families to be safe. But if I can just tell you something, it will change your life. Um, my husband and I, we were just people that used to just little keep scraps of paper. And I mean, every time Pastor asked me to come out and talk about this. It's such a blessing because I'm able to look at these, and usually whenever I have something that's been answered, I I highlight it. Or I always put in things. I can remember when we were praying for these missionaries to be found, and this was back in the year 2000. And then in 2003, we found out that they'd been found dead, you know. And all the time when we have missionaries come to the church, um, I put their little cards in my book under missionaries because – Usually we get the cards and we forget about them. And there they are every day out doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I stick their little cards in my book so I have them in front of me. And if I get a card from Billy Graham to be praying about their upcoming things, I stick it in there and I think, look at this, November, Billy Graham's going to Mexico. I need to be praying about that, you know. So it's a life-changing experience, it, you know. It, it's an infomercial for your prayer life, you know. It's 1999. It's free,
0: you need to do this. So. Thank, Thank you. you, Sarah. Better words could never be spoken. We're going to have a political orientation class right after the service. And it's going to last one minute, and I'm going to talk to you. Okay, now what we're going to do is uh, next, the next time, next Wednesday, I'm going to go in and show you some of the things I really pray for and how I do that. But, boy, if you look at her books, she's got it right. She has it right. She can teach you. What we want to do right now is we want to take this other piece of paper that you've got, and we want to break up into groups uh, around the church, get three or four ladies together in a group, three or four guys, and let's just spend five or ten minutes talking over these things, just, just discussing what we've heard and using these uh, questions as a kind of a discussion thing. And so, so, we'll let's stand. We can move all over the church, look around you, find a couple ladies or a couple guys, and get into a little group, three or four people, and uh, we'll spend some time just talking about what we've heard and uh, the material here that's on the questions.